he had money if you like his backed by men, men with guns. Can't counterfeit Bitcoin. On the blockchain, nobody knows you're a fridge. It's like a whole new worldview. It undermines the entire financial system. Separating your currency from government, from big banks. People are getting a little tired of these central banks. A Federal Reserve note? What's that mean? An orgy of, of banker bashing is what we're in for. The clouds are opening up to herald the arrival of Satoshi Cyberchrist. Christ is back, and he's got Bitcoin. Oh, once again, it's Wednesday. That means it's time for Ed and Ethan's Bitcoin Report right here on Loma Linda's very own KCAA 1050 AM, the station that leaves no listener behind. And you know how you know that? It's because you're here, we're here, we're all ready to get all kumbaya about Bitcoin, learn more about it, absolutely enjoy <clears throat> the miracle that is Bitcoin. <laughs> I, the I, ones and zeros. Uh, yes. The ones and zeros. <laughs> you know, you, you boil it down to something yeah. so simplistic. It doesn't yeah. sound like a miracle anymore, but it is. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know. You, you believe in miracles? Uh, no, not really. you believe in Bitcoin? <laughs> I believe in decentralization and people. Uh, yeah. There you go. Right. That's actually probably a pretty good way to put it. And one of the things that we do here on Ed and Ethan's Bitcoin, a Bitcoin Report is we do talk about Bitcoin in order to evangelize about Bitcoin. We like to spread the good word. And you know, that might sound pretty crazy. Like, oh, you guys are fanatics. Yeah. Or we're ideologues or whatever, Ide- right? Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, listen, all we're trying to do is tell people out there, there's a great communications protocol out there. You better look into it. Send some messages that denote value. Mm-hmm. Because that's what mm-hmm. it is, right? That's all, that's all it is. Oh, that's all it is. Man. I just love that. I love that. You know, I went to uh, this uh, past week. Uh, well, yeah, actually, it was what yesterday. Uh, I'm in a haze. Okay, <laughs> yesterday I went to this great uh, sort of a, a Bitcoin symposium. Yeah, uh, uh, what two and a half hours south of us mm-hmm. here, right? Uh, and in the capital of Saskatchewan. <laughs> Right. You know, where all the Sasquatches roam. Uh, but we, there, there was a great uh, symposium. There are lots of people interested. Many more people than I would have thought yeah. on yeah. a windswept prairie city uh, basically coming to learn about Bitcoin, talk about Bitcoin, rub elbows, uh, yeah, you know, uh, network all about Bitcoin. It was really neat. Uh, and it's really given me uh, a different kind of perspective than what I had before, which was essentially, you know, look, Saskatchewan is a desolate wasteland. Uh, drop a large nuclear bomb here, and frankly, we might lose three or four people interested in Bitcoin. Fact of it is, there are a lot more than I thought. It's a different landscape from six months ago, that's for sure. You're hey? absolutely right. Yeah. You're absolutely right. So it's uh, definitely interesting. So, uh, all right, look. All that aside, what I was going to get to was th- what was really interesting about this Bitcoin symposium down there was that we remember remember we had gone to Bar Camp Saskatoon, uh, basically a collection, a gaggle of geeks, if you will, yes, right? that's uh, right, tech nerds, that kind of thing. And they had told, you know, when, when I was talking there about Bitcoin, you know, I was talking about uh, frictionless payment systems and how it really p- gives people the freedom to move their wealth about as they mm-hmm. so desire. Mm-hmm. It really gives people their own independent management of wealth. And the, the attitude ah, there was... money laundering! Yeah, yeah. Oh, money laundering. You, that's, that's pretty <laughs> sketchy. I don't know. Well, in Regina, the attitude was so much different. Mm-hmm. So many more people genuinely curious about why it would you know, enable that? Or what, what's that consequence? Why is that a result? It, so it was really interesting, a definitely a different attitude. And I've got a lot more hope than I had before in respect to Saskatchewan and Bitcoin. So uh, it was a pleasant experience. Um, so in that vein, and going to talk about Bitcoin, evangelize about the, the good word I say, I don't know if I can do a Southern accent. I tried once before on this program. I don't think it worked out very um, well. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but we are bringing onto the, uh, onto the line right now. His name is Curtis Fenimore. He's with BitcoinBigfoot.com. Uh, he was an early mover with the Free State Project in New Hampshire, actually. So, you know, he's a liberty-friendly guy. And now he is devoted full-time to Bitcoin evangelizing and at BitcoinBigfoot.com, that that becomes obvious. Curtis, welcome to the program. It's a fantastic to have you on. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Great. So can you tell me what Bigfoot, uh, Bitcoin... I knew that was going to happen. <laughs> can you tell me what Bitcoin Bigfoot is all about? And also, I want you to tell me how it got its name. Well, the, the broad mission of Bitcoin Bigfoot is to inspire Bitcoin supporters and empower Bitcoin activists. Uh, we do that through providing promotional tools, propaganda, paraphernalia, and more. Um, we're pretty much a brand new startup company. I, I like to say that um, 
we don't even qualify to be to be termed a, a bootstrap startup because bootstrap is just so expensive. We're more of a duct tape startup. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. So, okay, then as a duct tape startup, I guess, uh, what, what, what are you aiming to do in the early term here with Bitcoin Bigfoot? Well, we're about to launch the uh, Plan B brochure effort. Um, we've been working diligently to design and produce and soon to distribute 100,000 Plan B brochures. Um, these are a promotional tool to assist Bitcoin activists in speaking to what I like to refer to as the bit curious. Um, <laughs> and, and where they really shine is um, towards the end of the conversation when, when you've answered all the questions and dispelled all the myths and, and the person starts asking, well, where do I get a wallet? Where do I buy Bitcoin? You know, where can I spend Bitcoin? That sort of thing. Um, and this, you know, the, the inspiration from this came from my own outreach. Um, working as a local seller, you know, uh, through localbitcoins.com. And I'd meet people at uh, the bar at a cafe and we'd have a nice conversation. Then it'd get to the point where, you know, they wanted suggestions on on where to get wallets and et cetera, et cetera. And I had to scribble, you know, URLs on a napkin. And I just immediately, you know, knew that there had to have been a better way. So that's the inspiration for the Plan B brochure. Cool. And can you tell me now that I really want to get you to answer this Tell me how Bitcoin Bigfoot got its name, because I know it's hilarious. Well, uh, about a year ago, Free Talk Live had an episode, and they were speaking about uh, Bigfoot. And um, this is also when they started taking a real interest in Bitcoin. And Mark and Ian, the hosts, they, they just couldn't keep the two names straight. So when they refer to Bitcoin, they'd say Bigfoot. When they were referring to Bigfoot, they'd say Bitcoin. Um, and, and, you know, it was a riot. And eventually, the, you know, the third chair host, Johnson Rice, he said, well, I'm, I'm going to go and, and register BitcoinBigfoot.com. <laughs> I like it. Okay, so if anybody has any questions out there for Curtis, for his, uh, about his brochure, about what, he, what he's doing with it, you can call in, of course, join us live on the air, one 909 Again, that's one 909 10.50. Curtis, you've got a great raft of sponsors, including, of course, Let's Talk Bitcoin, which is, you know, I mean, we're, uh, by the way, I didn't mention right at the beginning of the show, this is a Let's Talk Bitcoin network production, so many thanks to the folks there. Um, so uh, you, you've got a great number of sponsors. Uh, have you been getting these, uh, I mean, over a long period of time? Because I know you've got uh, Coinapult on there, CryptoKit. Uh, that's Anthony Diorio and the folks up there in Toronto. CheapAir.com. Uh, a, a number of really interesting uh, sponsors. Uh, so, yeah, I guess what, what, what's, uh, what's the effort been to uh, break these people into your project? Uh, it's, it's been um, quite an effort. I basically started at the beginning of the year, and in my naivete, uh, and, and optimism and idealism, I thought, oh, it'll take two weeks to raise the funds necessary ah. and, and we'll start printing, you know, middle of January and start distribution by the end of January. Um, and the, the, you know, the first couple weeks or so, there was probably zero, zero progress. <laughs> oh, you no. know? That's pretty fair to say. It's pretty much close to zero progress the first couple weeks of trying. Um, but localbitcoins.com was the first to sponsor us, and you know they kind of uh, blazed the way. Um, and then we had uh, BIPs, you know, out of Denmark, the merchant services mm -hmm. provider. Um, and then Coinapult came in big. Um, and uh, you know, for a while there, there was absolutely no American sponsors actually, hmm. um, which I thought was very strange since we're advertising. You know, this is going to be mostly for the American audience. And um, later, we decided we'd also distribute them to Canada. Right. Um, but it seemed that, you know, once we got about halfway or so, um, then people really started uh, jumping on board. Um, and in fact, just today I had a potential sponsor contact me out of the blue after seeing, you know, the article we had in Coindesk yesterday, um, which was, you know, huge. We got probably 70 requests for brochures yesterday. It was amazing. Right on. Um, so, you know, I, I think it was just one of those things where I guess, you know, people didn't want to be the first. And But once they were assured that it looked like this, this was going to happen, well, then, you know, they jumped on board and said, hey, let's be a part of this. So who who was your first sponsor then? That was localbitcoins.com. Right. I, I'm sorry. I think you actually managed that chronology. So when you, I, I, when you do put this uh, brochure out, specifically, what kind of information do you want it to uh, contain? 
Well, you can't um, replace uh, an enthusiastic, knowledgeable, motivated Bitcoin supporter with a piece of paper. That's mm-hmm. that's a given. That's something I understand right away. You know, there's no there's no substitute for, you know, the you know the the, the infectious enthusiasm and confidence that someone who believes in Bitcoin brings to the equation. Um, so what the brochure aims to do is is not replace but support that enthusiastic, motivational, knowledgeable activist. Um, and like I said, through my own through my own outreach efforts, I just realized that the place where I was weakest was when it came time to suggest, you know, which companies, businesses, news sources, that sort of thing, someone should check out to do their own investigation and and get started, you know. Um, so that's that's where it comes into play, you know. No one's no one that gets these brochures is going to have to do like I did, and I'm sure many other people have done, where they have to scribble a URL on a napkin, you know. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it's like a pocket book for it's a pocket Bible for Bitcoin uh, evangelical or yeah. evangelizers. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> See, we're not. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we're on radio. What really? <laughs> we're really. Oh, is that what this is? I uh, see. I forget all the time. So, Curtis, you mentioned uh, that you initially started this kind of as an American project, right? You wanted you had an American focus, but you have received a lot of requests from up here in the the cold wastes of Kanakistan. So, what kind of what kind of uh, response have you had uh, comparing Canada to the America to the United States? Like, what can how how does that contrast? Um, what's the population of Canada? Uh, Thirty-five million. Around there, yeah. Thirty. So about a tenth the U.S. Yeah. Um, yeah. You, you, there's definitely more uh, requests for brochures from Canada per capita than the U.S. Really? Um, in fact, I got a request for a thousand brochures from someone in Nova Scotia. I immediately scratched my head and, and said, "Is there a thousand people in Nova Scotia?" <laughs> <laughs> well, I think so. I I don't know. I'd have to go and give each one of them a call and ask how many people they know. So, you, yeah, that was such a bad <laughs> joke. All right, so Curtis. When when you're looking at the, at the landscape of Bitcoin to, today, and I remind our listeners, by the way, if you want to ask any general questions about Bitcoin, about what Curtis is doing, uh, call in at one triple eight nine zero nine one zero five zero. Again, that's one triple eight nine zero nine ten fifty. We uh, can bring up the Twitter too, even. Oh oh yeah, we've got the the the, the tweeties. We've, we, we can do that. Uh, live tweet us at Ed and Ethan if you want to uh, put your input into the show. You got any questions or anything like that? By the way, uh, for the second half of the show, we are going to have Andreas M. Antonopoulos on. Uh, so if you have any nickname suggestions for him, because people call him Bitcoin <laughs> Jesus, but he's not. That's Roger Ver. Anyway, we'll get into that. So, Curtis, <laughs> when it comes to the general Bitcoin landscape today... What is it? What, what's catching your eye? Because every day there's something new in the world of Bitcoin. I mean, uh, uh, new updates just been released, or at least a release candidate has. Uh, what's what's catching your eye? What's what's relevant to you today? Well, you know, the whole picture is kind of what does it for me. And you know, you sometimes there's something new every day. Um, it's it's the the unbridled innovation and and mm. entrepreneurial spirit um, that this decentralized phenomenon has given birth to. You know. Every day you've got some new uh, product or service or um, what have you coming out, and lots of times it's addressing a problem you d- you didn't even realize existed already. So mm. um, that that just gives me a lot of optimism and hope um, that that you know we couldn't possibly be this well off if we had a Bitcoin CEO that was trying mm. to dictate what was going to go yeah. on. The fact that everyone's free to pursue their own means and whatever they think's the best use of their time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it just it's amazing to see what it what happens. It's interesting too because you know lots of people you you say that um, no one is in control of Bitcoin, and when when problems arise, people kind of like think like, well, then no one's going to fix the problem. But the problems arise, and then it's fixed like within hours, if not like a day or something like yeah. that. You know, it, it's fixed so quickly because you have all these people who have such, have such a vested interest in keeping their the value of Bitcoin higher, high and higher. Yeah, no. yeah. And it makes at, total at the sense. risk of sounding like a motivational poster, you know, every every problem's an opportunity. And it's <laughs> it, it's really true, you yeah. know. Yeah. That's it, true. It tests it's, the network. It's yeah. one of those qualities of a disruptive nar- uh, uh, marketplace, uh, an anti-fragile network, is when problems do arise, they really are an opportunity for real improvement of that network, of that system. Uh, 
everybody with a vested interest has that interest to make things better rather than just leave and go, ah, well, you know, I, we, we all quit. We're all going to go home today. Um, <laughs> what a, when, you, you pointed something out to me earlier uh, uh, off air. You were, you were talking about zinc save, I think it was. Zinc yeah. save, and I looked at this, I thought, wow, this is really cool, because we talk about, okay, something, there is certainly a, a current within the Bitcoin community, people want Amazon to get on the yeah. Bitcoin train eventually, right? They really want that to happen, and, and that'll happen eventually, uh, Bitcoin with its network effect gaining more and more relevance every day, it's basically going to look as silly as turning down Visa at some point, right? Mm. Um, so... What what Zinc does, it gives you this this button. It's basically a plug-in for a browser, right? Gives you a button that you can order things with on Amazon, and then it, you can spend Bitcoin because Zinc basically serves as a payment processor, right? Zinc pays Amazon for your product. You pay Zinc with Bitcoin. Hmm. You get your product. So, Curtis, this seems actually kind of monumental. I, 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 but maybe it's not. What's your perspective of this? Is this kind of a big deal, or is it just kind of a mediocre deal? I think it's you know very indicative of what we were just talking about with this decentralized nature of call, you know call it problem solvers. Um, you know, before you know, we used to say um, if you want to spend Bitcoin at Amazon, hey, all you have to do is go to gift.com, buy an Amazon gift card. They'll even give you two percent off. And hey, no big deal. Boom! Now you can shop, buy anything at Amazon with your Bitcoin. Um, and for a lot of us, this was great. Hey, I mean, who doesn't want to get two percent off when they shop at Amazon and use their their favorite currency? Um, but here you go with ZincSave and and others like it, where they're like, well, we can do better. You know, yeah. <laughs> we can improve upon this. And and that's what really gets me excited. It's not one anyone offering, you know, as awesome as Zinc Save is. You know, the, the thing that probably gets me excited about Zinc Save is in a few weeks, we'll find something that actually works better than that. You know, yeah. someone will come out with something and say, hey, I can do better. I think I think it's really cool. I mean, there's there's uh, it it it's not even necessarily. I mean, I really want Amazon to just get on board and figure yeah. Bitcoin out. But I mean, as it stands right now, this is sufficient. Really, what matters to me is whether or not people can seamlessly use uh, Bitcoin to pay for things to uh, to do those things they would want to with a payment network, right? And uh, it's funny because you have right here an example of even when the big market players. Uh, kind of dismiss it or don't give it attention. There are still people with that vested interest who will develop a solution and say, "Darn it, I'm gonna have you accept my money, whether you like yeah. it or not." It's interesting because it's kind of it's 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 gonna be temporary, you know. Yeah, and it's interesting that people actually they they kind of know that it's gonna be temporary, but they still do it anyway. It's so great, you know. In a sense, like hopefully it's gonna be temporary. Well, it's, it's essentially gotta yeah. be. Well, but. actually, this brings up an interesting question because here, here's something I see, Curtis, and you give me your perspective on this. But what I see within the Bitcoin ecosystem is a lot of businesses that are uh, essentially, you know, uh, well, they're essential right now, but I think they're probably going to disappear at some point. So, for instance, I look mm. at BitPay. Okay, mm -hmm. BitPay is a very popular payment service provider, but it seems like theirs is a service that the more Bitcoin spreads the less relevant that company will be. It's very much required right now, but the more, you know, it's going to basically be irrelevant at some point when Bitcoin is widely enough adopted that uh, companies don't need to go to a payment processor to accept Bitcoin and convert to cash because they'll be able to pay all of their suppliers with Bitcoin as well. So, Curtis, do you think that's a problem for companies like that, like BitPay, that maybe they may at some point become irrelevant? I don't know if they're like me. Then I mean, I look forward to the day when Bitcoin Bigfoot, which you know seeks to empower Bitcoin activists to spread Bitcoin adoption by by giving them brochures, by selling them stickers, hats, T-shirts, flags. I look forward to the day where that is completely obsolete. Where mm. you know I, I liken it to you know hopefully one day you know before the end of this year if if we're lucky. Bitcoin would be so boring. It would be like walking up to someone and saying, "Hey, do you like money?" And they're like, "Yeah, I like money." And I'm like, "Well, I like money too." Like, who's who waves a dollar flag? You know, who's like, "Hey, let's let's meet up at the bar on Wednesday to talk about the the dollar." You know? It's just such an integral part of life uh -huh. that it's not something to get excited about. And right? Sure, that would put Bitcoin Bigfoot under and put BitPay under, but um, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I'm not interested in Bitcoin because I can run a company that seeks to sell stickers, you know? Mm -hmm. I'm interested in Bitcoin because Bitcoin's a revolutionary disruptive innovation that, that can actually help, you know, the, a wide swath of humanity. Um, 
So I look forward to the day when when that sort of thing is obsolete and I'm free to see where my Mm. time and energy and and effort is best put to use to continue whatever it is I want to do. You know, just beautiful, Curtis. Only a market anarchist would want his business to (laughs) essentially be obsolete one day. The someone who understands the market completely. Just beautiful, man. Yeah, thank you. It's it's embracing change, right? Mm-hmm. And this is mm-hmm. something that a lot of people they. It, it's funny because economists talk about sticky prices, sticky wages, oh. basically uh, a fancy but at the same time kind of childish way of saying that people get set in their ways, right? But that's not what innovation is about. Innovation is not about getting set in your ways. Innovation is about discovering something new, providing value to people, really moving and disrupting the market, and and, and that's something that scares a lot of people. I don't know. I mean. Look, I could go into. There's the big boys too, in a sense. People who well, they're entrenched in their in their business models and and whatnot, right? And they go to the government to make it so they continue to have their current market share. Well, this is this is something we we've been talking we've been talking about regulation on this show from time to time. And Curtis, I mean, I don't know. I I look at regulation. I think that's kind of like the almost like the death rattle of those who want to control markets. Mm. Uh, what what what's your perspective on that? I think those big boys, they, they might be cozy, they might be comfy, they might have their, their income and their revenue streams protected, but I bet they're bored. Hmm. And I'll tell you what, it's not boring in Bitcoin land. It's not boring mm-hmm. in a free and vibrant market economy where you, you live or die by providing value to your customers. And I'll tell you what, I'd rather be not bored. Huh, that's actually a really, I had yeah. never considered that mm-hmm. boredom. Well, I mean, because you've got other markets that are trying to open up, uh, you know, mainstream investors to Bitcoin, right? So there's, uh, what was it, uh, a Bitcoin exchange has been announced recently for high frequency traders um, that would allow, uh, you know, hedge funds essentially to unleash their trading bots hmm. uh, into the Bitcoin market. Curtis, do you think that's a positive uh, positive development that, uh, that you know, or, 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 would, or would this institutional money if it's allowed into the bitcoin ecosystem would it muddy it what do you think well you know i i, I say i look forward to the day that bitcoin is going to be boring i think these sort of moves are going to make bitcoin boring you know you can see it in the price i i often lament the the days of when i'd wake up and oh hey thanks china the price is up eight percent and that would happen day after day after day um and ever, ever since we've seen professional traders get into bitcoin then the price doesn't really fluctuate as much as it was uh, previously, you know, uh, there's kind of a narrow band of where it is, and and it makes the price of Bitcoin boring, in my opinion. Um, but that's a good thing, you know. You know, money shouldn't be this exciting. Yeah, yeah, I I I think it is a very exciting space. I mean, this is this is again, I go back to that innovation thing, right? This is a disruptive marketplace. Roles are changing. Uh, technology is developing. People are basically getting moving and shaked. And uh, maybe they're not so used to it. Curtis, uh, when it comes to something like, um, I, I'm trying to think of, of, of uh, where to go in respect to exchanges because I mentioned regulation before, right? And this is something that a lot of people think is really a good thing. I really don't think it's a good thing, but I think it's basically inevitable. When it comes to regulation, generally, I think it just adds friction to a market. I think that when you introduce regulation, you basically make things more difficult for business to happen, but uh, or or make make it more difficult for business to happen. But a lot of people think that regulation basically brings safety. You know, it it, it brings people. Uh, comfort. So things like FDIC insurance of deposits, stuff like mm. that. You know, Mount Gox, a lot of people yeah. got burned by that. I'm not sure if we're going to see any uh, resolution there. So I, I want to know specifically what your perspective is in general on regulation of the Bitcoin space and also if, if you think it uh, brings benefit to people. What do you think? Um, well, I'm not completely opposed um to regulation. The, the type of regulation I would like to see is some self-imposed regulation, some market-forced regulation, um, where, I mean, you know, we've got plenty of different exchanges now, and there's new ones being announced all the time. And to me, I'd like to see a new exchange being opened with some sort of announcement of self-regulation or third-party voluntary regulation, where they say, hey, we saw the problems that happened with Mt. Gox. Here's the things we thought they did wrong. So here's the things we're going to do proactively to reassure our potential customer base that, you know, their money's safe. We're not engaging in fractional reserve. We're not, you know, 
pocketing your money and running off and, you know, or, or, or dumping it all into dessert coffee, whatever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I, so I think, honestly, I think it's, it's, it's sad that, um, some exchange hasn't popped up and made a name for itself saying, Hey, we, we do third party audits. We're, we're voluntarily open. You can see all of our numbers. We, we do this and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there's one that does this already, in which case I would love to promote them because I think it's a great thing. I want to see the market deal with these sort of things and self-regulate. And, and so there's another opportunity, you know, for, uh, for a, a market provider where they just step in and say, Hey, we're the, we're the company you can trust. We're going to go and look at these guys' books and we'll publish this online. And, I think there's so much opportunity there that it's a shame that that no one jumps at that chance and instead they look to the government to do some sort of blanket, arbitrary, boring regulation. Regulation doesn't have to be boring. No, regulation doesn't have to be boring. It's a dirty I mean, word. It, it, well, it's a dirty word, but you know, like you were mentioning there, Curtis, self-regulation, regulation provided by the market is it's gotta be the best because it is responsive to people's needs, and it's responsive quickly. Government is not responsive. They're, 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 they drag behind the pack, right? Or, or rather, even better than responsive, free market regulation is typically, in fact, innovative, right? So you had like mm-hmm. CoinKite, for instance, yeah. say uh, CoinKite uh, said, we're going to prove our reserves now. We're going to make sure that they're publicly yeah, available, that, that people cool. can look at that all the time, that we're going to have that for people. And, and that was... That wasn't done by government or anything like that, but I guess a lot of people get hung up on these problems where you know you have a Mt. Gox situation, you get burned, and, and people think, well, look, that was a massive problem. That was a, a, a massive implosion. Lots of people got hurt. Where's you know, shouldn't you have regulation for that? And look, like we talked about, was it a show or two ago? Regulation doesn't save you from that, right? That yeah. happens to people yeah, all the time in right. highly that's regulated right. environments. Uh, I think it's a fantasy. It's to a say regulatory that, capture is usually what happens. The regulators are in with the <laughs> with the people who they're supposed to be regulating. Yeah, oh, it's another another example of security theater. You know, mm-hmm. isn't isn't the protocol in the miners the ultimate or the only regulation Bitcoin really needs? Is the protocol and the miners like that? That makes sense to me. Anything anything that's not that doesn't it's just um it's it's I, I believe that it's just people wanting to control other people does that is that I, I don't know let the market speak you know when when you have um the government setting the regulation it's like saying everyone must wear green shoes and now there's this little bit of humanity that's no longer expressive it's it's boring and i would love to have the choice between exchange a who does this sort of thing and exchange b who does this sort of thing and exchange c then there's some some opportunities some variety that's some sort of thing and and you can make an, a more informed consumer choice yeah like like 150 years ago in the united states when you had like 2,000 different competing currencies, uh, and, the, and they, they're all backed by, well, I wouldn't say all of them, but the, lots of them were backed by gold, and it was all individual banks, and banks would fail. It would show that, hey, this is a, they're bad businessmen. Put your money into someone who trusts, who you can trust, and a bank would spring up, and people would trust them because they had a good reputation, and they were providing a better service than the other guys. I remember seeing notes of paper um, that was, like, essentially, businesses would advertise on... Um, private currencies, and they would spread all over the place. Yeah, well, I've, got a, I've got a big grin on my face because you've just drawn a parallel between wildcat <laughs> banks and altcoins. Ooh, yeah. Well, we it's have talked about sort of thing. You said a couple thousand banks in the U.S. There's over a thousand altcoins right now, and they can and they they do resemble resemble wildcat banks in my my opinion. Uh, yeah, it, it's. Uh, I I think that when when you get to uh, altcoins and and well, I Wildcat Bank. I don't know. Could you just draw that that comparison just a bit more? Because I I, don't, I I haven't really considered that. Well, I guess you know, in, in you know the Wild West America, you didn't have the mobility and the the opportunity and choice you did. There might have been two thousand banks across the U.S., but it, you know you weren't. It wasn't reasonable to think that you could say, okay, well, I'm in Utah. I'm going to use this bank in Illinois because they have the the features and benefits that most impress me. Um, but it very much is similar to the you know the altcoin phenomenon we have today, where you know every day there's five or ten new altcoins, um, and people have a choice. Do I believe in Kitty Coin? Do I believe in Max Coin? Do I believe in <laughs> you know what, what? What do I believe in? Where do I think my money's safest? You know where can I place my trust? 
And, and you have a wide variety of how these things are made up. What are the features? What are the benefits those features provide? So do I care more about fast uh, confirmation times and, and, and block creation? Or do I care more about proof of stake or proof of work? Like there's, there's a lot of variety in, in these Bitcoin banks, so to speak, you know? And right. so I, I really do see a lot of parallels between that and the free banking era in the United States. It's That's pretty interesting. interesting. I, I'm going to have to think more on that. Hey, listen, Curtis, I really want to thank you for your time tonight. Uh, we're going to go for a quick break and connect with Andreas M. Antonopoulos, a Bitcoin evangelizer in true, incredible form and fashion, uh, right on the other side of the break here. So, Curtis, thank you very much. It's BitcoinBigfoot.com. And we appreciate all of the time and effort you're putting in. Our order for brochures is coming in soon. All right. Hey, thanks, guys. All right. Cheers. Have a great night. On the other side of the break, we'll get in touch with Andreas Amatolopoulos. Wow, I butchered that. We'll be right back. This is Ed and Ethan. MeowBit is free software from the Freedom Fiends that allows you to effortlessly view .bit websites. MeowBit works on all browsers. .bit is a new type of web address that's not controlled by any government or corporation. And we'll show you how to register a .bit domain today using a few cents worth of Namecoin. If anyone ever shuts down your .com website, users will still be able to get to your site using your .bit address in our free software, MeowBit. Go to MeowBit.com. That's M-E-O-W-B-I-T.com. Zombie what brains? Now from Global Edmonton, brains. This is CTV News. Brains. CBC News. Brains. The Ed and Ethan Podcast. Come to where the brains are. Here we are. We're back. It's good good times, man. It's good times. I'm excited. Yeah, well, I don't know. I'm, I'm, my brain has been dry. I'll be honest with you. I'm I think I've been had like well, I think I've had like about seven hours of sleep the past couple of days. It's all been a blur. But that's okay. I'm I'm recomposed. That's what the break is for. It's so I can congeal. You're, 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 are you heavily caffeinated still or no? No, I'm not heavily caffeinated. It's probably a mistake. Well, I'm going to get some sleep eventually, Yeah, right? you do. You yeah. can't just heavily caffeinate yourself before you go to sleep. All right, listen, we're going to be connected right away here with Andreas M. Antonopoulos. He is an absolutely incredible, powerful speaker uh, in respect to Bitcoin. He is a computer uh, security expert or science expert. I'm going to have to ask him to do his own accolades in just a moment here. Um we wanted to talk to Andreas and also open up the phones to your calls. If you have any questions for Andreas M. Antonopoulos, it's one triple eight nine zero nine one zero five zero. Again, that's one triple eight nine zero nine one zero five zero to tap into the guy's mind. I mean, it's it's a Bitcoin genius <laughs> that we have here. So Andreas should be connected with us now. Andreas, thanks a bunch for coming on the on the show. It's a pleasure to have you. Uh, it's great to be here. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Sure. So, Andreas, I wanted to ask you about uh, about some stuff. We were we were just on the other side of the break. We were talking about Bitcoin regulation, and I think this is probably a good place to start with you. When it comes to uh, regulation of the Bitcoin space, what kind of what comes to mind for you? Because for me, I hate the idea of governments trying to meddle with Bitcoin. I think all they do is add friction, but maybe there's some benefit there. So what's your what's your broad kind of overview of regulation in the Bitcoin space? You know, I think uh, people make a mistake when they say that Bitcoin is not regulated because uh, Bitcoin is regulated. Bitcoin is regulated by an algorithm. And I'd like to see more algorithmic regulation of Bitcoin and the relationship between people and their money. Because I believe algorithmic regulation and decentralized regulation, which is expressed by Bitcoin, is the solution. Uh, it's the solution to the problems we've been having in our current banking system. It's the solution to centralization of power and influence in hierarchical institutions that get corrupted and politicized and bribed and eventually end up not serving the purpose they were supposed to serve. The problem is, the problem is not that we uh, don't want consumer protection or anything like that. The issue here is that we're not getting consumer protection. I mean, the mm. regulated industries are the same regulated industries that in 2008 ran away with a trillion dollars and no one went to jail. Um, so how's that for consumer <laughs> protection? I don't think that's a good solution. So what I'd rather see is uh, to take advantage of the decentralized nature of Bitcoin, take advantage of the fact that we have programmable money 
and create algorithmic regulation that's more transparent, that's more responsive, that's user-driven, and uh, effective. You know, let's, let's focus on that. How about effective regulation through algorithms that protects consumers, actually protects consumers, not just says it will. But 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 Mount Cox. <laughs> well, how do you address all of the pain and hurt that came from Mount Gox uh, because of all of this lack of regulation? I mean, isn't that the fault of the lack of regulation from government? Don't we need government to be our studious, our stewards uh, of of uh, of our funds for us to make sure that we don't lose out? Isn't isn't that what what it's supposed to be all about? Well, I, uh, first of all, there is no mountain. It's not the mountain of Gox. It's an empty Gox, um, <laughs> spelled M-T Gox. But right. in any case, the, the real issue with Gox is that uh, they took the money away from the blockchain, put it in custodial accounts, and then did all of the transactions off blockchain unless you did a withdrawal and said, trust us. I mean, that's stripping... Uh, Bitcoin of the protections that are offered by the blockchain of the programmatic protections and control of the money that people have by controlling their keys. And if you take it out of that realm and then you don't put it in a regulated realm of banking and you just leave it somewhere in between in limbo land where you're not protected by the blockchain but you don't have any regulators looking over your shoulder, well, yes, of course, that's the worst of both worlds, but uh, that's not the plan. Uh, I think the better approach is to have uh, protections within the blockchain that help us uh, protect customers. So, for example, um, you know, you can build uh, algorithmic proof of solvency. You can use multi-signature to create voting pools among the exchanges. You can create multi-signature protections for consumers. All of those are much better solutions than simply saying, hey, look what happened at MTGOX. You didn't uh, get regulated enough there. Um, here are some regulators who are going to solve the problem when, when we know they won't. But at the same time, um, MTGOX was a failure of regulation in this sense. Uh, there is still no uh, liquidity pool or exchange in the U.S. And the reason there is none is because there are 48 different states trying to regulate this issue with money transmitter laws. Mm. And as a result, it's almost impossible for anyone to start up in this business here. And with Bitcoin, the outcome is clear. Uh, you can pretend it's not happening and uh, you can pray it's not happening, but it's happening. And so the only two options are do it here with some measure of protection and gain from the innovation or don't do it here and have it done elsewhere. Those are the options. The um, stop it is not an option. Um, please don't do it is not an option. Uh, customers will be smart enough not to go to a Japanese exchange that takes control of their money is not an option. So uh, give us an option. Uh, and I think... I'd rather see regulators give us some clarity and say, look, you can open an exchange here in the U.S. and it's going to be better managed and it's going to be more professional and it's going to have uh, some relationships with banks that will give us a chance um, to use our bank accounts so that it's a bit smoother. But, you know, there's going to be the broadest spectrum of options. And some people will want regulated institutions on the blockchain, and some people will want complete uh, freedom to control their own money. And we have room for both. There's no reason to pick and choose. So, all right, listen, remember this is KCAA 1050 AM, where no listener is left behind. So, of course, callers take priority. I've got lots more questions for you, Anthony. Uh, I'm sorry, Andreas, but uh, I do have uh, Miles from Phoenix. He wants uh, to get on the line with you here, so we'll put him on right now. Miles, how are you this evening? I'm great. How are you doing? Not too bad. So, Miles, uh, you have a question for Andreas. Is that right? Yeah. Hi, Andreas. How are you doing? Doing great. Thank you, Miles. Great. Okay. So, I just have a um, a quick question for you. I've been trying to get everyone I know on Bitcoin, right? And um, it's really, really easy to do with people who have um, Android on their phone because I can just say, look, it's super easy. All you need is to get a wallet on your phone. Uh, let's get the blockchain.info wallet. You got it on your phone. Now I'm going to send you Bitcoin. Now you have Bitcoin. Super easy. Now they're in, right? Yeah. So you probably see where this question is going. Yeah, um, Apple Apple is really um, <laughs> just, uh, what's the expression? Peeing in the punch bowl. Um, <laughs> right. And, and ruining the party for everyone. Uh, you know, this is basically compounding uh, a mistake with another mistake. So first you made the wrong choice in mobile platform, and now you're being excluded from making the right choice in currency. I mean, that really sucks for some people, and it's a self-selecting thing. Um, we're trying to fix it. Uh, I think there are probably half a dozen companies 
companies right now in a race to create HTML5 mobile wallets to bypass these restrictions. And at the same time, I think eventually Apple will get its act together and allow Bitcoin applications uh, on the uh, App Store simply because uh, these are good applications. They're going to offer a lot of innovation and there's nothing wrong with them. There's nothing wrong with them legally. There's nothing wrong with them technically. Google has lawyers and technical analysts and standards too. They allow them. Um, why not Apple? I'm sure they're going to figure it out eventually. Well, eventually. I mean, these closed architecture systems, the way they act, sometimes you wonder if they'll die off before yeah. they figure it out. Although Apple's got, uh, you know, a lot going for it. It's, it's, it's. A, I've heard of it. It's a big company, they right? Got, they got a lot so, of money in the bank. So, <laughs> well, every every decade, someone has to be Microsoft, right? <laughs> Ouch. All right. So, Andreas, I wanted to ask you about. Now, was it refresh my memory for me here? You did an audit of a Bitcoin business. Was it Coinbase that you did an audit? Of? Well, I, I wouldn't use a big word like audit. I'd like to be well, careful I did, there. I yeah, did I did want you to clarify. Uh, yeah, I did a spot check of their reserve uh, capacity in order to make sure that we didn't have a systemic problem when Gox went down. And that was really as a favor. Um, you know, I'm a competitor of uh, Coinbase's, or rather I, I do work for a competitor as the chief security officer of blockchain. And so the idea was, what better way to um, calm people down and, and show them the truth than to go in and do a slightly adversarial um, competitive spot check um, in a way that can be trusted. And so I went in and I asked to see proof of the cold storage reserves uh, against the balances of the users and checked that those had Bitcoin in them. And then I uh, even asked them to activate one of those cold storage addresses and move money so that I could see they had control over it by selecting mm. one at random, uh, something they were not expecting. And uh, they probably moved more money that day than they'd moved uh, the entire year so there you go mm. and you know that that gave us a bit of confidence that they had uh, solvency I produced a report um, that people were able to read and draw their own conclusions right so th that's what I kind of wanted to get to was a bit of confidence right it, because I think um, one of the problems I know Roger Ver drew a lot of flack for this he he appeared in a, a video that a lot of people took to imply <laughs> that Mount Gox was absolutely uh, empty Gox was absolutely solvent uh, there was okay and then of course you know that was last year this year they implode right so a lot of people did say you know Roger Ver stuck his neck out there and and uh, it was very unsatisfactory certainly the Result. So I think that when when that happened, Ed and I were talking here about how, you know, Roger is a great guy. He's not somebody that we think is going to lie to us at all. That's certainly not yeah. what we think happened. I but this, yeah. but we, we at the same time, what we said was Roger Ver is not an accounting firm. He's not somebody who has a standardized mm -hmm. auditing process. As, as nice, wonderful and stand up a guy as Roger Ver is. He's not somebody that message didn't really mean anything to me and Ed. We just saw problems at Mount Gox and and somebody coming to the defense of a, a what turned out to be a really bad friend. So when 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 what I'm looking for is something from companies like Coinbase or whatever to basically give people a a real reliable audit. Do you think that's important? Do you think that's around the corner? What's your perspective on this? Because everything I've seen so far, to be quite frank, has been entirely unsatisfactory to me. What I'd like to see is, uh, as a standard practice, that companies that take custodial access to funds have uh, cryptographic proof of reserves and solvency by publishing um, essentially signed, signed outputs that show that they have the money that anyone can check against the blockchain. We can use the decentralized trust model of the blockchain to solve this. Now, on top of that, you do need some uh, operational audit to, to basically go in and see that their operational practices, the way they manage the systems, are such that they can recover these funds in, in, in case they need to. And part of that was what I was doing by asking for them to prove that they could control the keys by moving something. So you need to check both sides. Uh, but I think we can do a lot better than the traditional financial systems where you have to trust the auditor. Right. So, mm -hmm. you know, Enron was audited by Anderson Consulting. Right. <laughs> and uh, we saw. And so the problem there was and, and other auditors were involved, too, if I remember correctly. And the problem there was that uh, the, the auditors themselves were not doing the job properly. 
I would rather see uh, the output of a hash tree because the math is the math mm. and uh, it doesn't lie. Now, you need some audits on top of that, but we can do a lot better than traditional financial services. Don't confuse with not yet with not possible. I think that's the main message. Uh, we are not yet uh, ready to deliver uh, kind of the robust trust that we need. Not that the financial services industry delivers that regularly. But um, that doesn't mean that we're, it's not possible. It simply means that there's still a lot of innovation to be done in this space. And for an entrepreneur, all of these things are essentially opportunities to build completely new industries that don't exist today. Industries that can do algorithmic accounting uh, and audit in a way that's very transparent. And we need that for charities, we need that for government institutions, we need that for every organization that's managed uh, for a public good or, or has to report to customers, shareholders, account holders. Uh, we can do better than we have today. I want to, uh, and by the way, if anybody wants to call in, of course, one 888 909 to connect right here live on the air with Andreas Amantinopoulos. I'm sorry, Andreas, I just butchered your name. I keep doing that. And if you're, if you're shy, just tweet us too. Ask right, Ed and, Ed and Ethan, we'll pick that up. I want to read you a quote, uh, Andreas, from uh, Dominic Wilson. He's the chief markets economist of Goldman Sachs, and I want to see if your brain explodes. You, you just tell me what you think of this. If a ledger-based technology is to succeed, the cyber currency would very likely have to have some type of fixed exchange rate in order to overcome this obstacle. On net, more than taking off as a widely used alternative currency, uh, it is much more plausible that Bitcoin eventually has a significant impact in terms of its innovation on payments technology by forcing existing players to adapt to it or co-opt it. When you hear this, <laughs> see, what I'm reading is somebody who doesn't quite understand <laughs> the concept. Well, what do you think of this idea that uh, payment uh, system providers right now, they might have to co-opt Bitcoin at some point? Oh, I think I. You know what? I'm going to say something shocking. I think he's absolutely right. Um, I think, in fact, you are going to see existing players uh, adapt and co-opt, and we've seen this happen before. Uh, don't underestimate the banks. They they understand technology. They're smart. They've got the resources. And I think what you're going to see is this: uh, they're going to gradually. They're going to fight the blockchain at first. Then they're going to try and play friends with the blockchain, and eventually they're going to base significant parts of their operations on blockchain-like technologies. Right. Whether it's Bitcoin or a Bitcoin 2.0 or other things or a combination of cryptocurrencies. So the, the outcome is cryptocurrencies are going to be part of our financial future and are going to be broadly used as a new trust model, as a new decentralized asset ledger. Um, I, I see a very parallel uh, evolution as we saw on the internet where the telcos at first resisted and now they run their entire voice operations on top of IP. Uh, Worldwide, um, hmm. every single telco provider runs their phone system on top of the internet now. Um, so, so what that means is we'll see the same thing with banks. But here's the other thing that happened while this evolution was occurring. The telecommunication providers adapted to a much less profitable model, one in which mm -hmm. they had much less control. And mm -hmm. most importantly, they didn't have veto over the types of applications that could be used. And they didn't have levers of power at the center of the system. So the banks will adapt to a much less profitable model, one where rent-seeking will be less possible, one where they'll have to compete more vigorously, and one where they won't control levers of power the center of the currency to give themselves free money when they're having solvency problems mm. as they're doing now with the Fed. Uh, and if that's what he means by adapt, yeah, they will. <laughs> but, uh, but, but that's an ad adaptation that uh, many companies in the internet space didn't survive. Uh, many telcos ended up having to be bought by bigger companies because they didn't move fast enough. And for every successful one, like, for example, you know, the big players today, Comcast, AT&T, Verizon in the U.S. and other countries um, who survived. There's a whole list of those who didn't. There's Tower Records and Bloomberg, and, and sorry, and uh, Blockbuster, and others who who went by the wayside. Um, disruption is going to roll through this industry, and so this industry hasn't been disrupted in the last 50 years. There's a lot of pent-up innovation, and that's a good thing. Uh, and in the end, what's going to come out of the other end is a much more healthy relationship between consumers and banks, and banks that actually have to work for their money. Sure. Um, so yes, adapt they will. 
I think maybe that's just me cynically reading into the term co-opt, right? Because I tend to think of these organizations, I mean, look, so much of what they do is built around that free liquidity, that 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 ability to conjure money out of thin air, right? So so when it comes to these somebody saying, well, these organizations might have to try to co-opt Bitcoin, I think, you know, that's basically kind of their business model disappearing and going up in smoke. So I don't know if they mm. can co-opt it. But like I said, that might just be me reading a little too cynically into that. That. Right. Um, well, you know, I think co-opt is where they think that they can uh, mold it to their own um, to their own purposes. And then I think about when something important happens, and you turn on CNN and they're reading Twitter. Um, <laughs> it, that's not co-opt, guys. That's just co-op. That's just yeah. oh, we lost we lost the war for control of information. Let's read the important authoritative channel. Twitter. What was that air. South Park uh, episode when the internet goes down and there's the television station? The newscasters get all excited because they're getting a fax. Oh, finally, some inflow of information because the internet is down. We've got nothing. Um, so I guess, before we end out, Andreas, I did want to ask you something uh, that. I, I've never seen asked of you before, and I'm very curious about this. Now, I am attracted to Bitcoin because I am a free market anarchist. I like the idea of sovereign monetary uh, instruments, people being able to manage their wealth as they see fit, that sort of thing, taking control away from centralized, mm -hmm. uh, monopolized authorities. So I'm kind of curious, Andreas, do you have an ideological bent? Are you have an, a, a political direction? Because I've never seen anybody ask you about it. Well, I think my, my politics comes through in terms of the fact that I always uh, speak my mind and my uh, opinion. And I, I, I think it's important to just be honest and direct about what you think. So, you know, the things that drive me are um, uh, pacifism and uh, stopping war is something that's mm. always driven me and it's something that I find very important. And I find that certain technologies can empower people by disrupting existing power structures. Uh, I, I wouldn't say... Uh, uh, I certainly don't consider myself a libertarian, more of a just an anti-authoritarian shitster. And my primary attitude is that um, ossified centralized hierarchies require disruption anymore and they don't deserve any more respect than they gain by playing fair. And so when that happens, they need to be disrupted and technology is a great way to do that. If I had to sum that up in one word, that's probably cyberpunk, but I, I really don't um, ascribe to specific political philosophies. I just see the world a certain way and I just talk about it as if that's that's how it is and, and people will listen or they won't. Well, you know, listen, I, I, I get that impression from you, especially what you just did on FCC approved radio. <laughs> so, you know, my hat's off to you for that at the very least. I think we might get in trouble for that. But you know what? It's a good oh, yeah. way. To, I, it's a I'm good sorry, way. <laughs> it's, it's okay. You know what? You create. You know what? You create an impression, and that's what that atmosphere and gravitas is about. Hey, Andreas, I do uh, want to thank you. Contracts with you. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to thank you very much tonight for your time, Andreas. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. I think we needed to make more time for you, so I apologize for squeezing you into a tight segment. But uh, we'll we'll connect again. You know, I, I want to talk about more stuff with you, and uh, we'll we'll get more covered, more grounded at some point so thanks a bunch andreas it's been a pleasure and we're gonna we're gonna be back next week of course and i uh, yeah so we'll we'll be back right here on kca hopefully i'm thinking we'll probably <laughs> we don't know now but okay we'll be back right here on kcaa 1050 a.m in loma linda california the station that leaves no listener behind you can check out the let's talk bitcoin network at letstalkbitcoin.com uh, our own website, edneathan.com. You can follow us feed, uh, uh, on Twitter at edneathan, or you can email us feedback at edneathan.com. Uh, thanks a bunch for listening, folks. It's been a lot of fun. We'll have you back next week to learn more about Bitcoin. This has been Ed Neathan's Bitcoin Report. Bitcoin.